Well, good morning, everyone. And it's funny, on a long weekend, we have a lot of people that are away. Can you drop my volume just a little bit? Because if I get excited, people are going to go deaf. Um, and so um, it's so great to have you here. We have some people that are visiting, some first timers. And uh, so it's, it's always uh, good to have you here because when it was just Joyce and ourselves that were here, um, I, we told her that if nobody else shows up being a long weekend, then we'll just go for coffee instead. But I guess I better do my job instead, eh? Well, let's open the service in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the opportunity to worship together, to bless your name, and Father, to draw closer to you. Would you draw near to us in this time together? And would you fill us with your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our call to worship today is a responsive reading taken from Revelation 4. I will read the parts in white, and you'll read the parts in yellow. Before me was a throne in heaven. The one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. Around the throne were four living creatures, covered with eyes, in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The third had a face like a man. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, The 24 elders fall down and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, For you created all things. Amen. And we're going to sing the song that was inspired by that very passage together. Holy, holy, holy. Please stand as we sing. It's found in number three if you would like to follow along in a hymnal.
well done. And we certainly miss our musicians when they're not here, but we are grateful to Bryce Lansdell for sending us that recording so long ago and us being able to still use it two and a half years later. As we come to our time of announcements together today, I want to remind people that next week we will resume our Gospel of John video Bible study, and that's at 9.15 Sunday mornings. And on Thursday at 10 in the morning, we are continuing on in session three of our Look at End Times, and we're talking about understanding judgment. Thursday at 10 in the morning, and you're more than welcome to join us if you would like. We have birthdays and anniversaries that are coming up this week. Scott Sage on the 23rd, Alex Pittock on the 26th, and Emily Sage on the 28th. They're all celebrating birthdays this week. Is there anybody that we've missed coming up this week? No? Okay, we're good. All right, well, happy birthday to all of them. Also, mark your calendars for Sunday, June 12th. After church, we're going to have a bring-your-own picnic. We're going to have a campfire out on the uh, side of the church here. Um, weather permitting, we may even have the service outside. We will see about that. Um, it would, if the weather's good, then we'll do that. Uh, but we're going to have this bring your own picnic afterwards and we're going to have games and so also make sure to bring a lawn chair something to sit in or a lazy boy if you can actually get one here um, so good luck with that um, are there any other announcements that we need to mention before we move on no okay great well of course the important thing that we do as we have gathered together for worship is to sing to god to learn about God, but also part of our worship is done through our tithes and our offerings, our giving to God. And so this is an important time and an important piece to building the kingdom of God. And we value your tithes and offerings. You can either give in an offering plate at the back of the church, or you can give through our website through e-transfer as well. And we thank you and cherish those gifts that have been given. During the month of May and June, we are also supporting Camp Oneida, and our goal is to send two kids to camp, and that's $640 to send two kids to camp, and so that's our missions giving that goes over and above our regular giving, and uh, so let's return thanks together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that worship is more than just singing to you. It's more than just learning about you but it's also found in giving to you. And so, Father, we pray that you would bless the tithes and the offerings that are given. Father, help us to be faithful stewards of them and all that you have given to us. Father, we pray for the success of Camp Oneida this summer. Pray for the opportunity for young people and leaders to gather together, that your name may be lifted high, and that children may make a decision to follow you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our next song that we're going to sing together is Be Still and Know, the little chorus. Please stand.
to sing together is 10,000 Reasons. Please stand.
Well, I forgot to mention in our other music that we had playing that uh, thanks as well to Deb Dean who had recorded music for us and not able to be here in person with us. But uh, again, we had Bryce come back for that piece playing for us again. And so we're very grateful to these musicians who can play and send us the music. So on days when we don't have live music, we can have this as, uh, to help us in our worship time. As we continue on in our series in the book of Revelation, today we're going to talk about the faithful in Christ. And the passage we're looking at is Revelation 7, verses 9 to 17. And here's what it says. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can study this incredible book, this piece of scripture. Would your spirit illuminate our hearts today to understand what you would have us know? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned last week, when it comes to Revelation, we can't cover everything in seven weeks, and yet we will cover everything in seven weeks. We're only doing this for seven weeks. It's going to be a real short fly-through, hitting some high points of Revelation. That's what we're doing. The challenge for me is that it's like, it's like a, a giant steak. Have you ever seen those massive steaks that they sometimes serve people? Right? And, and they smell so good if you go to a place like the keg, which is really expensive. But if you went somewhere like that, their food is always amazing. And they, they bring out this massive steak for some people. And it smells good. It looks good. But I think, how on earth are you going to eat the whole thing? Right? It's massive, right? And it may taste good in the moment, those bites. And, but eventually, as you get full and too full, ugh, why did I do that? So that's not what we're going to do with Revelation. We're not going to cover every little bit of wonderful, tasty morsels within Revelation. We're going to hit the high points. 
As we remember, this revelation came to John, the disciple, the author of the book of John, the Gospel of John, while he was on an island called Patmos in the area of Greece. And he was there because he had been spreading the word of God, spreading the good news of the gospel, and he got in prison for it. This is the reason why Jesus sent this message here. Revelation 1.1. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him, gave to John, to show his servants what must soon take place. As I mentioned last week, people go to the book of Revelation, when they do, (laughs) for different reasons. But the main reason is curiosity. What are the questions that you bring to the book of Revelation? Do you have any questions that you bring? Go ahead. What are your questions? When? Is it real or is it imagery? And, and even those words are loaded, aren't they? What is real? What does it mean by real? Sure. Yeah, what, what do we take literally and what do we take as figurative? Excellent. Well, last week we asked the question, is this the end? It's the question that comes to our minds as a culture every time there are bad things that are happening or that things are dramatically different. And we talked about that last week. And we talked about how Jesus appeared in this incredible vision to John holding these seven stars in his hands, and he looked divine, he looked angelic, burning eyes and burnished feet that looked like bronze glowing in a furnace, wrapped in a white robe. The seven stars represented the seven angels or the seven messengers of the churches that he spoke to. And those seven churches are in present-day Turkey, uh, that would be Asia Minor back then, they talked about it. And they were on a mail route. They would go around. And so this letter was written to them. And last week, who remembers what the main point was at the end? If you need a hint, it has to do with scouting. Be prepared, right? That's the motto for scouts, isn't it? Be prepared. And so this week, we come with more questions. And my question that I want to unpack for us today is, what happens to the faithful? For those of us who trust in Christ, what's going to happen to us? When all of this unpacks, when all of it unfolds, what does it mean for us? For those of us who are faithful to the Word of God, to sharing our faith, what is this going to mean for us? What about the tribulation? Do we face the tribulation? Do we go through it or not? What about the rapture? When is that going to happen? Fred's question, when? Um, Some people are hoping that it will come before their next uh, bill comes in the mail, right? We talked a little bit about that last week. Well, you know, if Jesus comes before I overspent and have to pay for it, I'm all good, right? What about the judgment? How does that work for us who have put our faith and trust in Christ? And we're going to look at these things. Of course, you know I like alliteration. So instead of tribulation, rapture, rapture, and judgment, we're going to look at affliction, ascension, and accounting. Will we go through the great tribulation? It's a question when we read some of the horrendous things that are going to happen in the book of Revelation. We might wonder, is this something I'm going to have to endure? Or another way to put it is, what affliction will we go through? 
when will people be raptured? Or another question might, another way of putting that question is, when will we join Jesus in the great ascension? What happens to us at the final judgment? And sometimes people are asking, really, will we have to give an accounting for our sins? Lots of things to think about. Lots of things to wonder about. I think that the main question behind it all is, how will it end for us? Or what will happen to us? So to try and simplify Revelation a little bit for us, I've broken it down into three main chunks. The first chunk is the purpose and setting. And we find that in chapter 1, the introduction and the vision of Jesus Christ. And then chapters 2 and 3 give us the letters to the churches, which is the foundation for the rest of Revelation. When we read those letters to the churches, we see how it weaves back into the story of the rest of Revelation. Chapter 4 tells us about the throne room and the attendants that are there. And then chapter 5 is about this scroll, the seven-sealed scroll and the lamb who can open it. The next main chunk that we have is about the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. Chapters 6 and 9 are the tribulation and salvation, what happens when people are going through hard times and some people are rescued? There are these servants that we see in chapters 10 and 11, and then enemies of God that we see in chapters 12 and 13, and then this idea of rapture and punishment in chapters 14 through 16. In the last chunk I call the end and the beginning, it's the end of the enemies in chapters 17 through 19, the final judgment in chapter 20, and the restoration of paradise, chapter 21. There, we're done. Let's call it a day. <laughs> no, there's more. We have questions, right? We want to unpack it. Okay, so let's look at the faithful. Who are these 24 elders that are around the throne that we've already talked about in our call to worship and in our reading? Who are they? That's an important question. Revelation 4.4 tells us, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Well, naturally, we want to know who are they? Who's sitting around the throne? Who has these spots of prestige? Well, let's start with taking a look at some other people who wanted spots of prestige. In John 10... And we're going to start at verse 35. So turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And maybe you're familiar with this story. But there were a couple of disciples who put in a big request of Jesus, didn't they? Chapter 10, and we're going to be starting at verse 35. Hmm. Well... That doesn't make sense to me at all here. Looks like I've got a typo in there. I apologize. Let me tell you the story. <laughs> so there were two disciples, James and John, and they came to Jesus. Who remembers what they asked him for? Does anyone know? Sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus when he comes in his kingdom. Why are those positions important? They're the positions of power, right? If you are somebody who is right next to the throne, you can always go, hey, can we do this? Hey, I want that. 
And there are special privileged spots. So they were asking for this from Jesus. And Jesus said, those positions are not for me to give out. But they have been assigned by the Father. 24 thrones around the central throne. Maybe this is the kind of spots. Maybe some of these elders. So who are the elders? Well, we know that they may or may not be James and John. Some people say that it's representative of 12 disciples and 12 tribes of Israel. Representation of both of those. 12 and 12 is 24, if my math still holds. Other people think that what's happening is that there's these 24 positions and it's a rotation of the faithful. So people that are given special privilege and honor have a time where they go and fill in those thrones and they sit there. But like, unfortunately, we mostly find when it comes to the book of Revelation, we have to kind of go, eh, who knows? So we're going to move on. We don't really know who those elders are. We just know they're in a special position. The other people that are the faithful are the 144,000 Israelites that are mentioned, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, and then there's this Gentile multitude, massive amount of people. Let's flip over to Revelation 7. Go back to our passage from today. I'm going to start right at verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on land or on sea or on any tree. You see, there's already a whole bunch of things that had unpacked, had happened, some terrible signs that had happened from above, but they stopped in the middle of this. Six out of seven signs, and then this happened. I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all of the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. 144,000, if the math holds up. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. 144,000 Israelites. This great multitude of Gentiles that we see. Let's flip over to Revelation 14 as we get a little bit more information about these people. Verses 1 to 5. After John had seen these visions of these beasts, this is what took place next. 
Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. See, there is rock music in heaven. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remain virgins. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Well, that just clears up everything, doesn't it? Who are these 144,000? Is it a literal 144,000? As some cults would have us believe that there's only 144,000 who get to go to heaven and the rest go to the new earth, which is on another planet. Not mentioning any particular cult, but yeah, that's what some of them believe. Is it a real 144,000? Here's how I look at it. Does it matter? God's got it worked out. We know that he's got some people that have been specially set apart for this role. Let's go back to Revelation 7 and 9 again and reflect on the fact that that's Israelites, which may or may not be biologically Israelites. It may be a representative number. But here's what I think is amazing is that before him is a great multitude. I think sometimes we can get wrapped up in the, the challenges that we face today, with the way that Christianity is shrinking in our own culture, and sometimes think about the narrow road and the narrow gate and think, oh, man, there's going to be like 50 people to talk to in heaven. That's going to suck. I don't even like half of them. great multitude that no one could count. Remember, this is people from all time. All of those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. A vast multitude of people from every nation, tribe, people, and language throughout time. All of those will be gathered together. What an incredible experience that will be wearing white robes, a symbol of the fact that they have been purified by Christ and holding palm branches because that's what they used to celebrate back in the day. That was their flag, celebrating Christ. Now, some people think that, well, we're obviously going to all get raptured before the tribulation, but then we get these sticky little passages like this one here. Revelation 7, 14 these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've been through it and yet been rescued from it in some way. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Blood normally stains things and you can't get it out. The blood of Christ washes us clean. Well, we have more questions, don't we? And so let's take a look now at Revelation 9, 1-4.
So this is in the middle of the trumpets. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. Stars are often representative of divine beings, angels. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. Doesn't sound like a good day. But they were told not to harm the grass of the, of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Everybody that had the seal was protected from that going through tribulation and yet protected in the middle of it. This is an awesome thing that God has done. Revelation 14, verses 14 to 16. Let's flip over there and see what else we find about these people. There's a time that will come. I believe that this may be talking about the time of what we call rapture. The Bible doesn't have the word raptures. It's a, it's a word that we infer from what happens. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man. Daniel's description for those angelic or divine beings who have a human form. He had a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice, to him who is sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. The fields are white unto harvest, and the harvest goes. What happens next is there's another angel who comes and harvests the rest of them, but they're thrown into a wine press and crushed down. Jesus said this is what it will be like. In the end, there will be two women working in the fields. I don't know if they'll be actually collecting butterflies, but anyways, it's the only picture I could find like that. But there are two women working in the field, uh, or two, excuse me, two men working in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. There'll be two women working, grinding flour. One will be taken, the other will be left. When the time of rapture comes, there will be not really any warning. It will just suddenly happen. What a mess for those left behind. Paul gives us an idea as well of what it will be like in 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's turn there. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting at verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are left 
will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The reality is, when we ask what will happen to us, some of us will die more or less naturally. Some of us will die of old age or some illness of the earth. Some of us will die naturally. Some of us will be martyred, those who are faithful in Christ. Whether it is in this country or another country, some will be martyred. Some have been martyred. In Revelation, we see beneath the altar there are these souls that have been martyred. How long, O Lord, how long until you return? Part of the answer is not everybody that's going to be martyred has been martyred yet. Carl's paraphrase. Some will die naturally. Some will be martyred. Some will be raptured. I've always wanted to fly. I've talked about it before in church. I'm looking forward, hoping, got my fingers crossed that I get to fly. Pretty cool. What about the judgment? So that tells us sort of an idea, but we have this idea too when we look at the scriptures, we're not 100% sure how the judgment's really going to work for believers. It's a little confusing at times. Romans 5 10 and 12 tells us that we'll all stand before God's judgment seat, and all seems pretty inclusive. And each of us will have to give an account of ourselves to God. Jesus himself said that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Paul said to the Corinthians that we will receive what is due for us, what is due for the things done in the body while in the body. Excuse me, let me try that again. Receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul does get into his tongue twisters. There's going to be something that happens to all of us. Jesus shared a story about the talents, didn't he? In describing what the kingdom of God will be like. What have we done with what he has given to us? There will be an accounting for that. He shared a parable about sheep and goats. And the the sheep are the ones who did the work that they were supposed to. And the goats were the ones who didn't. It seems confusing. I know, here's your real question about the judgment. Does everyone hear about my sin? That would be awful, right? Oh no! I don't mind about just telling about the times where you know I've done some silly things or whatever, or maybe haven't been the most amazing example of Christianity, but about the bad stuff? What about Micah 7, 7.19? Doesn't it tell us that you will tread our sins underfoot, hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea? Doesn't that mean that God forgets all of our sins so like you don't bring it up on the day of judgment? That'd be embarrassing. We have questions. Let me reassure you that if you've put your trust and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that regardless of how the day of judgment unpacks, how it unfolds, because the scriptures are not clear, we can trust in the fact that when that day comes, that our names will be written in the book of life. Even if we have to go through something embarrassing, something uncomfortable, that we know that we have eternal life with Christ. 
there are lots of debates on all the nuances. We're not eating the whole steak today, remember? So we're not going to get into it. If you want to go deeper, you want to talk more about it, give me a shout. Let's talk about it. But here's a passage that's really helpful for me as I think about the coming judgment. That all who trust in Christ, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus, by Christ Jesus. Jesus paid it all. There's nothing that I owe for. There's nothing that I'm paying for on the day of judgment. There's nothing that you are paying for on the day of judgment. If you trust in Christ, Jesus paid it all. And so you can face that day with confidence in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. But what does this mean for us? It's been an interesting little tour around this part of Revelation. What does it actually mean for us? What do we do in the meantime? We use our hands. We be faithful in using our hands. We use them for worship. Whether we are at home, in the house of the Lord, or one day in heaven. We use them as we witness to others and do the work of ministry. We share the words of the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who need it. We provide that sense of welcome that Jesus gives to all of those who seek him. And we wait. We wait for the timing of God because God's timing is always perfect. We wait even if it means that we go through tribulation and whether that is just the challenges of our own lives because they can be pretty brutal at times or whether it's even something more unbelievable. We wait. And we wait for the transformation of ourselves. The transformation of this world that's going to happen. And the transformation that we will find when Jesus Christ returns and sets everything straight. Here's another piece of reassurance as we wrap up the message. Deuteronomy 31.8 The Lord himself goes with you. Goes before you, excuse me. And will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Last week I said, be prepared. Like good scouts. Jesus shared another story about being prepared, didn't he? About these lamps that these women had, and some of them were prepared and some of them weren't. Be like the ones that are prepared. This week is a reminder just to be faithful. Use your hands for the glory of God. Use the talents that you've been given. Just remember the words that close up the book of Revelation. Look, I am coming soon. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let us say this together. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even though the scriptures are unclear in some of these areas, you are not unclear. And we can trust in you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent to pay for all of our sins so that we can face the throne 
with confidence and not fear. Help us to be faithful in using our hands in all of the ways that bring you glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn together today is a fitting one for when we're studying the book of Revelation. Come, thou almighty king. It's found at number eight in your hymnals. Please stand. to be faithful to the end regardless of what that end may look like for each one of us as we know that Christ will be with us he has gone before us he will be with us he comes after us to gather us home again what a great reassurance we have in Jesus Christ and so go in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit and be faithful amen